one of the things that most excites me when visiting a new place is how our senses absorb everything that is happening around us. I remember moving into my college dorm in Fleming Hall at West Virginia Wesleyan College and the smell of new, fresh paint on the walls, the echo from the carpetless dorm room that I was moving into. Sounds would bounce off the tile floor to the slab ceiling and off of the cinder block walls. On my first overseas business trip, I remember getting off the plane in Yemen, smelling the dust of the airport, and then hearing the arguing of taxi drivers in skycaps jockeying to take uh, new arrivals to their destinations in Sana'a. I can remember the taste of the, of the kebabs delivered by Emily Dozier and her daughter Alyssa the first day we moved. My family moved into Arlington, Virginia. I remember the taste as we ate dinner in the front yard over the sounds of ambulances coming by and then listening to the movers cuss at one another trying to figure out how to fit our oversized furniture down narrow stairways. Good or bad, our senses help us create memories in a way that can be more powerful than simply experiencing a milestone or event on our own. As we walk down the streets of our neighborhoods, especially in the spring and the summer, our nose will alert us to a neighbor preparing a barbecue, that neighbor we wished we would have befriended a few weeks earlier. The smell of exhaust or the sight of smoke in someone's driveway might alert us to a DIY mechanic, another good friend to have in the neighborhood when your car won't start. Like many of you, a few months into the COVID-19 pandemic, when those in our household were grinding on the very last nerve that we had left, I took up walking and running in the neighborhood to get away from those roommates who seemed to not pay rent. These runs and walks were a welcomed break from co-teaching preschool or trying to keep my first and then second grader on task while he was laying in his bed doing virtual school. I walked or ran the same route for months up 16th Street towards Virginia Hospital Center, a left on North Edison, then up and down 15th, 14th, and 13th Street, before hanging a left onto Washington Boulevard, then a left onto Abington, a right on the 16th Street and back home. And depending on the day and how that last nerve was feeling, I might do that loop a few more times before I went back through the front door. Sometimes I would do that route multiple times a day first thing in the morning, right after lunch, before the kids went to bed, after the kids went to bed. I knew this route so well, I didn't have to pay attention while I was doing it. Our dog knew this route so well that she would pull me along if she thought that I was walking too slow. I wasn't going fast enough. She, for some reason, wanted to get back home to the chaos. The prophet Amos was called by the Lord and sent to Bethel to prophesy, to speak a word to the people of Israel. 
traveling from the southern region of Judah, from a town called Tekoa, a small uh, stone's throw from a town named Bethlehem. You might have heard of it. Amos headed north to the city of Bethel, delivering a word from the Lord. Amos had much to say about what Israel was doing or what Israel was not doing. And what the Lord might do to rectify the situation. Amos describes the Lord as standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in hand. A plumb line, for those of you who are not engineers, is used to ensure a wall is, well, plumb. It's straight. It's square. And for us, the plumb line is a symbol for the standard by which the Lord will measure, judge us. The Lord gave Moses the plumb line on Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments, God's top ten, along with the 613 mitzvah, the 613 bits of the law that Israel was to follow. God's law is the plumb line to which the prophet Amos states, Israel will be judged. And God's law is the plumb line to which all of us will be judged. After he arrives in Bethel, the prophet Amos is confronted by the priest of Babel, Amaziah, who does not, as you all expected, roll out the welcome wagon for this new-to-town prophet. The priest of the town goes to the king and accuses Amos of conspiring against the king and against the entire nation. Amaziah tells Amos that he needs to leave Bethel. In his interpretation, the message, Eugene Peterson translates, translates this as, Seer, be on your way. Get out of here and go back to Judah where you came from. Hang out there. Do your preaching there. But do not preach in Bethel. Do not show your face here again. This is the king's chapel. This is a royal shrine. The prophet Amos arrives in Bethel, and Amaziah, the head of the religious machine, did not want to hear what the prophet had to say. But nowhere, nowhere does Amaziah declare Amos to be a false prophet. Amaziah actually does the exact opposite, naming Amos as a prophet, recognizing the word that he's bringing. In verse 12, Amaziah says to Amos, O seer, O seer, the same phrase is used elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible, 2 Kings chapter 17, to identify a prophet sent by the Lord. The priest of the king's chapel confirms Amos to be a prophet sent by the Lord. But this priest does not want to hear what the prophet has to say. The priest opts instead to disparage Amos, twisting the prophet's words and then snitching to the king. Amos had been sent by God to do what Amaziah was supposed to be doing. Because Amaziah was the priest in the king's sanctuary and in the temple of the kingdom, it was his responsibility 
to identify if and, well, when the people were not living in accordance with God's will. Amaziah had failed to see how he, along with the entire nation under his care, including the king, had missed the mark and fallen short of God's will. When I would return home from my walks or runs, let's be honest, they were mostly walks. It was really, it gets really hot here in the summer. My wife, Allison, would ask me what I saw, who I saw, or if anything exciting happened. And you all live here, so you know nothing exciting happened. And so I would say to her, same as last time, same as this morning, same as this afternoon, same as yesterday evening. With my AirPods secured in my ears and music blaring or some podcast squawking, I barely paid attention to what was happening around me. There were a few near misses in crosswalks. I didn't need to pay attention because I'd been there every day, sometimes multiple times a day, for months. Our first experiences in new places result in memories being created based on what our senses reveal to us. But over time, we can become numb to what is happening in these places, especially if we, especially if we spend a significant amount of time there. Last Sunday, Pastor Sarah invited us to consider the Jewish practice of Midrash. Midrash is a way of filling in the blanks left in our Holy Scriptures. And I'd like to invite us to do that again this morning. I have no doubt that when Amaziah first entered the royal sanctuary in the temple of the kingdom, his priestly vocation was heightened by sights, smells, and sounds of the space. I believe this because I've experienced the same thing. My first Sunday here at Mount Olivet, July 2017, standing in the back of the room, smelling the acolytes, lighting the candle lighting sticks hearing the pumps on the organs bellowing, seeing you all sitting, smelling some of your cologne that had been put on a little too heavy that particular day. All of those senses are registered in my brain. But over time, those sights and those smells that Amaziah had heard, smelled, experienced when he first arrived in the temple, that gave way to complacency. And this is when the prophet Amos had to step in. Prophets point out to the people of God where God is calling us to go when complacency takes root. And we miss the movement of God happening before our very eyes. The prophets then and now have the task of bringing a word from God to the people of God. In the case of the prophet Amos, this word was to return to the will of God, to care for the poor, to care for the widow, and to love God and love neighbor. Amos is one of six minor prophets in the Hebrew Bible. Minor describes the length of Amos's writings compared to the more loquacious major prophets. Still, Mamus, being a minor prophet, does not diminish the word that he is bringing to the people of God then and today. The prophet's work disturbs those in power in places of comfort 
when those in power or in comfy chairs act in ways contrary to God's will for all of creation. And nowhere is this more evident than in the ministry of Jesus Christ. We in the church believe Christ to be more than a prophet. Christ is the Word made flesh, the loquacious Word of God. We believe Jesus came to inaugurate God's rule on earth, to set us on a trajectory towards God's will, to set right our human propensity, to set ourselves against God's will, and to fulfill all of the requirements of the law on our behalf. The rejection of Christ by the nations was foreshadowed when Jesus himself went to his hometown synagogue and was rejected for speaking a word to the people, nearly run off a cliff by a congregation made up of his extended family for proclaiming God's word. But the good news is that no matter how often we reject those who deliver God's word, no matter how often we reject the one who fulfilled God's word, God does not stop sending us prophets. Christ does not abandon us. Christ will not abandon us. Prophets sent to our nation during the civil rights movement of the last century were rejected. They were mocked. They were villainized. and Some were even killed. But still today, prophets are being sent to our nation. People like William Barber and Liz Theo Harris, who are calling our nation towards God's will. Prophets are being sent to the church, specifically the United Methodist Church today, advocating for the full inclusion, pushing us towards God's will to those who have already been called to ministry, those who have already been clothed in their baptism in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Whether or not, we like their calling. Amos said, I am not a prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. God continues to call and equip prophets today in the same way that God calls and equips disciples. That's all of us calling upon imperfect, untrained, and unprepared people like Amos, like me, like you, to go to new places and to lead the people of God towards God's will. It sounds like an impossible task, and it is. Or at least it would be, if not for the grace of the one doing the calling and the equipping. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.